This is Pablo Escobar, Escape from la Catedral. The tapes you are about to hear have been translated and dramatized by voice actors. Pablo Escobar is on the loose, and while on the run, he still finds the time to do public relations through the media. Here he is speaking to Enrique Santos, a popular journalist at the time. What do you think of all the things going on? I think it is a shame, Enrique, because we kept our word with the government. We had no intention of escaping. We had asked the Attorney General which count as a negotiating prison time within the limits of the law. Escobar wanted to portray himself as the victim. We wanted to do the time. We were keeping our word to the government. The thing is that there are people out there, there have always been people out there interested in hurting this process, in disinforming the government. The government has allowed itself to be disinformed. They are saying wild things. They are claiming, I celebrate my birthday in La Casa de la Cultura of Envigado. And imagine that, that I was there celebrating my birthday a month ago. That's absurd. I'll hand it to you and ask you a favor. Yes, sir. If you need something, just ring. You can find me right away here at RSN. I'm rather interested in attention, but it seems everyone around me wants attention. What I'm interested in is in preventing people from being lied to, cheated. I am interested in making sure that they keep innocent people out of this. My name is Jorge Ramos. I am the nightly news anchor for Univision News. I have covered the drug trade all over Latin America for over 30 years. When I was approached to do this podcast, I had to say yes, because it involved listening to a mysterious set of 35 tapes that were sent to a production company in Mexico called Detective. The package simply read, Escobar Tapes. The innocent people that Escobar wanted to keep out of all of this included his own family members. Because now Escobar wasn't just on the run from the Colombian police and the military, but an unholy alliance between them, the CIA, and a group of drug traffickers and criminals led by the Cali cartel known as Los Perseguidos por Pablo Escobar or Los Pepes. We spoke to some of Escobar's family about those days. Here is his nephew, Nicolás Escobar, recalling that time when his uncle was held in La Catedral. Well, what he loved the most about that time was being able to look over his beloved Medellín. But no one really understands Pablo's mental abilities. He was able to analyze from the prison if one of his planes or helicopters was going out on a trip. He would call and ask, what happened with this plane? And his people didn't even know he was in the know, but he was. So being there for Pablo was just what he always wanted. He was relaxed, looked after by the army like a king, taking care of his business from right there, and being able to look over the whole city with no setbacks. But after Escobar fled, his family was now in danger. Los Pepes would not hesitate to murder any of them if they felt it would help them get their man. Here is Pablo Escobar's sister, Luz Maria. After La Catedral, he wrote me a letter asking me for a big favor, something to give him peace of mind. He said that I needed to leave the country and take our parents with me. But my parents didn't want to leave. He said he knew our mom and dad would be fine with me, but I had to leave. 
we all had to find a way to flee Colombia because the Pepes were right on top of us. Los Pepes were after Escobar and his family. Here's DEA agent Joe Toft on the links between the Gaviria administration and Los Pepes. The Gaviria administration was completely behind the hunt for Pablo. And that's why the Gaviria administration asked the U.S. government to help with this. Um, that was one of the difference. The other difference is that after Escobar killed the Galeanos and the Montadas, uh, the remaining uh, traffickers that were in this umbrella uh, were fearful because they were probably cheating him out of some, some of his money also. They were fearful that it would be the next people that would end up in, um, you know, being killed by Escobar. So they went to the Cali cartel and they pledged their allegiance to the Cali cartel. And that's when the Los Pepes were formed. And the Los Pepes were formed by people that used to be, they used to be with Escobar, who joined the Cali cartel. And then at that point, the Cali cartel through the Los Pepes, started cooperating with the administration. According to Toft, Los Pepes were effective and violent. The Los Pepes played a big, big role in bringing Pablo Escobar down. It, uh, it is sad for me that they played such a big role, but uh, they, in essence, created a... Uh, they engaged in a um, dirty war against Escobar. And they went out there on a killing rampage and they killed, you know, they knew the structure of, you know, they knew all the friends that Escobar had, people in his organization, they were still with him. And little by little, they eliminated everybody, including the, his attorneys, uh, money launderers. They were just being killed left and right. And um, by virtue of this dirty war that the Los Pepes carried out against Escobar, suddenly Escobar was left pretty much alone and very vulnerable and which provided the opportunity for the police with the help from DEA etc to um, to locate him. The situation for Escobar was getting worse by the day. His family was trying to leave Colombia. His former allies now work for his enemies. Out of desperation the drug lord kept trying to start new negotiations with the government. Again, through the media. Hello? Pablo Escobar? Yes. I want you to do a giant favor for your country. Yes. Why don't we make arrangements for you to turn yourself in? In exchange, you will be kept alive and you can see your family. I am a mother. I understand what you are going through. Let's get that process started, and I'll work to have your sentence reduced. This is journalist Maria Isabel Rueda, who, along with her colleagues, Juan Gosain and Enrique Santos, were trying to get Escobar back in prison. Listen, Pablo, why not just go to a regular prison? They will guarantee that you are kept alive. I understand that you need respect and protection, but that can be arranged in a normal prison, not La Catedral, please. 
What I need is for my life to be respected and my personal safety guaranteed. I don't care. I have no problems with staying in a prison. I've lived in caves, under rocks. Exactly, Pablo. But please, agree to go to a normal prison. You can trust the president. Accept his offer. Okay. I'm telling you, so you can tell the president. I'm willing to stay in a normal prison, but, but I need to do my due diligence on it. And it can be in the city. No, senora. They'll come for me with a car bomb and the whole block will be up in flames. Escobar knew that in a normal prison, he would not be safe. I'll accept a normal prison, not the one in Envigado. But I have to know which one it will be. I cannot go into a courtyard with 70 random inmates. I can't do that. And Escobar's family was getting desperate as well. At one point, his own son went to the U.S. Embassy to ask for asylum. One particular day, I got a call from Ambassador Busby from his office to my office, and he said, hey, Joe, he said, you're not going to believe this, but Pablo's uh, son is uh, downstairs at the embassy. He wants to talk to me, meaning talking to the ambassador. He said, I'm not going to talk to him. You want to talk to him? I said, sure. So I went down there and I sat with him and and I was very impressed with um, the maturity of the 16-year-old. I mean, he had lived some a very interesting life up to that point. But he was very mature and uh, he was begging for a, a visa for himself, his sister and his mother to go to the United States. And I told him, I said, there's no way you're going to get a visa. And according to Tuff, the American government intervened to help keep Escobar's family in Colombia. You got to remember that at this point, um, Escobar was trying desperately to get his family out of the country. I mean, in fact, just before he was killed, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but his family boarded an airplane. I think it was on uh, the 27th of November mm -hmm. of 19... Uh, 93, uh, they boarded an airplane to go to uh, Frankfurt, Germany. And um, we had the intelligence that they were going to board. We tried to get them, uh, uh, we tried to stop them from getting, of getting on that plane, but we were not able to do it. So I put one of my agents on the plane, uh, Kenny McGee and also Coronel Leonardo Gallego. So they, they both flew with the family to Frankfurt. And during the flight, uh, DEA, uh, the State Department, um, you know, we, we worked with the German government. We were contacted the German uh, police uh, at the highest levels. Uh, and we were able to get them uh, to deny him entry into the country. The Americans were using Escobar's family to pressure him. So when they were returned to uh, Bogota, that's when Pablo went nuts. And Pablo was very, it was very um, meticulous. He knew the, the uh, 
the equipment that we were using to try to track him, to trying to find when he was using the phone. He knew we were using directional finding equipment. So he always, whenever he got on his phone, his uh, radio phone that he called it, he would always be moving. And when you're moving, it is really, really difficult to triangulate the location. And we could get close, but not close enough. So we were, you know, we had so many attempts to locate him because we were monitoring his conversations. And uh, when his family returned, he went nuts. And, uh, you know, he called the, uh, the palace, the presidential palace, threatening the presidential palace, threatening the president. After Escobar's family was denied entry into Germany, the capo did the thing that he did best, make threats. This is Pablo Escobar Gaviria from Medellin speaking. This is a warning that if the German government mistreats my family, I will personally take revenge against their citizens, their tourists, their businesses, and German interests in Colombia. My family is made up of two women and two innocent minors. When the Germans had their war, they were given refugee and asylum in Colombia and Latin America. We took them into our countries, and I will be unforgiving. I cannot allow my innocent family to be attacked, humiliated, or rejected. Escobar, in a state of desperation, was starting to get sloppy. Here is President Gaviria. Escobar empieza a sentir que su familia está en peligro. Escobar begins to feel that his family is in danger, his wife, his children. And he gets the Germans to welcome them, not to give them asylum, but to receive them and send them to a third country. It didn't work out. I spoke to a German official and told him that from now on, any terrorist attacks carried out by Escobar would be partly his responsibility. So when the Escobar family arrives in Germany, they are turned away and sent back to Colombia. When the family arrived back in Colombia, they were taken to Hotel Tequendama, which allowed the military to supervise their every move. And if Pablo made the mistake of contacting his family, there was a good chance we could locate him. As it turns out, Escobar, who murdered countless people in the most gruesome ways, had a weak point, his love for his family. Escobar era un monstruo, pero tenía corazón. So what happened was that Escobar, he was a monster, but he had a heart. He cared about his wife. He cared about his children. He was also very sensitive about the poor. He had a human side. No one is pure evil, right? Sometimes something good comes from even the most heinous of humans. Bin Laden must have had some weaknesses, something that could paint him as human. No one is totally good or totally bad. That's simply not possible. We should really try to understand this. No one is pure evil. And the documentaries and series about Escobar, they all recognize his humane side. That makes some people angry because they say it's like showing Escobar in a positive light. But there's no way one could deny that he cared about what happened to his mother. He cared about his family. There's just no way to deny that. Luz Maria Escobar, Pablo's sister, gives us a glimpse of just how sentimental he could be. She recalls the moment that she helped him turn himself in. 
I made his bed for him. I organized all of his things. He brought a special bottle of liquor with him. It was special because it reminded him of his daughter Manuela. It had a little ballerina inside, a ballerina with a red skirt. She moves her feet to the beat of music. He said that in times of sadness, in difficult moments, when he wanted to erase the memory of other things happening in his life, he would wind it up and think of his daughter Manuela. She was very beautiful. She sang and danced beautifully. He called her his little dancer. Escobar made a reference to that tiny dancer in his letter of surrender to La Catedral. And I also want to pay tribute to my parents, my irreplaceable and incomparable wife, my 14-year-old peace-loving son, my seven-year-old ballerina who lost her teeth, and all my family that I love so much. In this historic moment of the rendition of arms by the guerrillas and of peace in my homeland, I could not remain indifferent to the longings of peace of the vast majority of the Colombian people. Pablo Escobar Gaviria, Envigado, Colombia, June 19, 1991. When we are alone or scared, we crave the comfort of family. Pablo Escobar was no different. He knew the risks, but he took them anyway. But this time, the call lasted a little longer than it should have. <laughs> 